This is exactly right. I'm not afraid because I I really witness all the things my parents went through. By comparison, I have it easy. And so I just have so much gratitude and I see all the sacrifices they made for me. And I see just, I just understand the, like the choices they made to like, just ensure that I had a better life, me and all my siblings. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Well-Read Black Girl, Uplifting the Narratives of Black Women, Parenting, and More with Glory Adam. Glory is the founder of Well-Read Black Girl, a book club and online community that celebrates the uniqueness of Black literature and sisterhood. In fall 2017, she organized the first ever Well-Read Black Girl Literary Festival. Glory has worked as a creative strategist for over 10 years at startups and cultural institutions, including Kickstarter, the Webby Awards, and the New York Foundation for the Arts. She received the 2017 Innovators Award from the Los Angeles Times Book Prizes for her work as a literary advocate. Her first anthology, Well-Read Black Girl, Finding Our Stories, Discovering Ourselves, was published by Random House in 2018, and continuing her life's work to brighten and enrich American reading lives through the work of legendary Black authors, she recently launched her Well-Read Black Girl library series with On Girlhood, published by Live Right in October of 2021. Glory serves on the board of New York City's Housing Works Bookstore and lives in Washington, D.C. Lori, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. That was such a beautiful introduction. I really appreciate it. So, wow. You, from, from 2015, Instagram, to 2017, to 2018, to a festival, to a podcast. Um, yeah, I didn't even throw the podcast in there. We got to talk all about this stuff. So, <laughs> could you have even have ma- imagined What was to come? No, no way. Like there is no way I could have predicted all of these incredible things. I'm always on this, like in the space of awe and feeling so much gratitude because it's like, this is my job. I get to write, like read books and host book clubs and have festivals and have a podcast. It feels so phenomenal and like my all my little girl dreams come true yeah Uh, so i'm always so so excited to be like yes this is my job and i show up for it like every day with just like more excitement and more enthusiasm because i'm like wow like i get to like read books for a living you know like how much better could it be (laughs) that is so cool you're making me think when i was in college I remember during some of the academic struggles or like what am i going to be when i grow up i remember just having this thought of 
gosh, there's got to be a job where I just get paid to show up and be myself. And um, I think you found it. I did. I did completely on accident. This was not, I majored in journalism. I was always very much into like, you know, living in the archive and, you know, being in the stacks of my library and just, you know, I just loved information and I loved hearing people's stories. And so that's why I think I gravitated to journalism, Mm -hmm. you know, first off. But um, as I got into this world of publishing, it just became this whole new purpose of really finding ways to amplify the works of Black writers and mm-hmm. um, being able to celebrate their achievements in the literary world. It's just been, it just feels like such a blessing. You write and talk about how, I mean, this goes way back, because as you recount your upbringing and tell your story, you talk about how Black writers were helped to raise you. Right. Yes. These powerful women uh, help to raise you. I I feel like in so many ways we think about the role models that we have in our lives and the mentors and books were my mentor. Like I really would look at covers and read passages and feel like they were giving me life instructions. And, it, uh, you know, whether I was seven years old or 17, I really found a lot of um belonging and instruction when I read different books. So when I was reading like Little Women, I was like, okay, yeah, Joe March is doing this. I can do it too. Like I Mm -hmm. had that kind of like gusto and really, um, now that I think about it, I just was like, I really felt like if I read something and another person did it, whether it was like a real person or a character, I was like, okay, this means I can do it too. So it gave me a lot of self-confidence and it made me see like there was a path. Even if I couldn't make it up on my own, if I read it in a textbook, if I read it in, in one of my like favorite novels, it made it feel possible. And did it make it feel more possible or only possible if it was a character of color? I mean, did it generalize? Because I know, I mean, you're raising, you're amplifying Black voices for Black girls. Yes, 100%. For me, the first time I really saw a Black girl protagonist was uh, Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. And I think for so many young Black girls, that really sets the precedent. The the book is beautifully written, but it's a very hard and traumatic book. But And it wasn't as if I like could relate to her experience, for per se, but I related to this idea of feeling... Um, underappreciated or overlooked or not having the the support necessarily that I needed. So I, when I read her, I was like, wow, like you can have a singular story and it doesn't matter if it's sad or if it doesn't matter if it's like joyous, it's like, it's your story and you can own it. And I, it took away any kind of reservation or shame I had about the hard parts of my life. It made me feel like I can tell all parts of my story and it's going to be embraced and accepted. And so I started to really think about self-acceptance, like from that one book and reading Toni Mm -hmm. Morrison. And then when I read, um, Maya Angelou's, you know, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. That was another like really foundational book for me because I was in love with her voice. Like I'm very much a voice editor and a voice reader. I live for dialogue and hearing people, you know, using their own dialects and just just embodying their full selves. Mm-hmm. And reading Maya Angelou, it didn't have um 
it didn't have like this, uh, it didn't feel too conservative. It felt like very lively and like you were having a conversation with another person, but you were doing it through through the text. Like you were reading it chapter after chapter. But I, I would also look at her picture and think like, she looks like my mom or one of my aunts or like, mm-hmm. a, like someone who's in like a member of my church. And that also made me feel like, okay, like there's, here's another example of a woman telling her own story. And at that time, with the exception of um, the narrative of Frederick Douglass, I hadn't read any kind of autobiography or like memoir by another black woman. So mm-hmm. she was like the first person where I encountered in that way where I was like, wow, like she's telling this beautiful story and it's a bestseller. And not only is it one story, it's like multiple stories where she's like living in Ghana and then she goes, you know, then she's like part of the civil rights movement and she's raising her son and then she's a dancer. Like she was doing all these incredible things and also experiencing really challenging things as well. You know, you you can feel Maya Angelou's encounters with racism and being part of, um, or even the patriarchy, like sexism, like all mm-hmm. these things she's encountering, mm-hmm. but she's doing it all in her own voice. And so that was what encouraged me. I was like, I can develop my own voice. I can be my own person, all the hard things, all the good things, and I can just fully exist. And with every mm-hmm. story I read and like put as part of my library, it just became my my sanctuary, my own little armor of like, okay, I read it, I can do it. I read this, I can do this. So nice. I just kind of like found myself in stories that way. And it was very just motivating to have, um, to see myself reflected in the stories. And so you get this t-shirt, Right. Yes. You get this T-shirt from your boyfriend. Yes. And uh, we'll tell everyone the story. How this oh, T-shirt yeah, so has become a movement. Yes. It definitely the T-shirt is so such a part of my origin story. So my boyfriend at the time, I was a very very, very dedicated reader. So anywhere we went, I had a book with me. And so I was like the bookworm, the well-read black girl. And for one of my birthdays, he made me a shirt that said that. And um, so I would wear it around. It was one of a kind. You couldn't buy it in any other store. And I was living in Brooklyn, New York at the time. And people would come up to me and they would just be so excited. Like, where did you get that shirt? Like, what are you reading? It became like a conversation starter. And as you know, like in New York, we're all so close to each other. We're sitting next to each other on the subway and it just invites conversation. Um, So that happened more than enough times where I was like, hmm, there's something here. Like, let's have, let's have a, you know, let's take this a step further. And I ended up starting a book club and the newsletter and then, you know, the festival and everything else started from that, from that one shirt that said, well-read black girl that was like such a decoration and a statement of like this is who i am and totally organic how this yes. whole thing has unfolded right? yeah 100 percent. like there was no business plan attached yeah. to this i had no intentions of like going viral or doing anything it was in all ways a real book club and i want to say for the first two years of me hosting the book club like the same 20 women showed up like it was like these women are now very close friends and we you know we go to brunch together or we go to each other's like baby showers and but we really just sat and talked about the books and the stories and the key component that made things different was we invited the author to join us so mm-hmm. i would have a brunch and in a little spot or we would have a pizza party and we would come and talk to um, the author about their books so some of the uh, beginning books was um 
trying to think of a great example. Oh, Britt Bennett. Britt Bennett's first book, The Mothers, came out and we invited her to speak with us. um, Who else? Oh, Nicole Dennis-Ben. Her first book, Here Comes the Sun, was immensely popular. She came to brunch with us and had a whole conversation and told us about her writing process. It was just so eye-opening. And I feel like every time I invited an author to come join us, like I was still so surprised that when they would say, yes, like, sure, okay, like you have this Instagram. And now we have like, you know, you know, close to like half a million followers. At the time, I probably had 50, you know, 50 people just like, you know, lovingly interacting on Instagram. So it grew very organically, but the excitement and the support of, you know, especially with debut writers when it's like their first book and they're just like so excited to get out there. That's like the best feeling because, you know, their work is so precious and so tender and you want to give them all the support and love possible. It's so cool. I was going to say, yeah, from from this small amount of people till I saw hundreds of thousands, it grew in, you know, in in time, not that long of time. And then you have the authors that you recommended. And then I was, you know, looking and watching um, your stuff. And uh, oh, there's there's President Obama. So, you know, like he, oh, jo- yeah. he you know, <laughs> just 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 President <laughs> Barack Obama comes and joins the book club. Like, OK, so that yeah. was, I do have to tell like it, that happened in 2021 when his new book, A Promised Land, came out. And that was like a very special edition. And I promise you, when he joined us, I was just like, please tell Michelle we said hello. <laughs> like, you know, so that was, we made a great exception for the president, you yes. know, Barack yes. Obama. We, we adore him. So it's just like, all right, we, and even how we, uh, because the book is so different from our, like our usual stick is like contemporary novels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And different genres, but we tackled that book in such an efficient way. Like I honestly felt like I was back in like a history class because we were like, okay, like mm. let's study, let's like digest it. We had so many questions amongst ourselves before we had the book club with him because we we just wanted to get it right. We wanted right. to, you know, make sure he just had the best experience with our book club. And he was amazing. And I got a chance for my son to say hello to him before nice. we got on camera. My son, I had just had my son at the time. He was probably like, Oh my gosh, I don't know, maybe like six months. And he was completely spazzing out on the camera. Like I was trying to get him to stay still. I'm like, the president is here, please. Like, say hello. I even put him in a little um, I put him in a Frederick Douglass onesie. I don't even know oh, if the president. Yeah. <laughs> I was like trying to really make a moment, and my son was like drooling over his book and not even paying attention, but still. It was beautiful. <laughs> that is that is beautiful. And like, wow, right? Like, wow, that, yeah. that, that that can happen. So I want to take us back now a little bit. And this is, we are close to Mother's Day. We're in the middle of May here. So happy early Mother's Day to you. Thank and you. And this is the segue to asking about your experience of being parented and your mother. You know, on the show, we're all about having increased awareness and we were all parented and we take some of that stuff with us and we're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then we try to, there's some other stuff like, "Mm, I might want to do that differently. And we're just trying to be aware. So now I'm just curious about your experience of being parented. And of course, now you are a parent yourself. Yes. So that's such a great question. I absolutely adore my mom and she's been so helpful in helping me just 
get comfortable as a new parent because there were so many things I felt nervous about or I thought I was like doing wrong. And she's like, no, no, there's no one way to do something. There's no right or wrong. Like you just have to really embody it and be the best mother that you can be. And so that's been the biggest lesson that I've been able to take away from her, this idea of having such patience and self-compassion for yourself and be um, able to see when you need help. You know, mm-hmm. so my mom's constantly reminding me, like, do you need help? Can I help you? How, how can I like show up for you? And that's really helped me be feel more comfortable because I also had my son at the top of the pandemic. Okay. So mm-hmm. there was no kind of blueprint to have how to have a baby during a pandemic. I had no idea what even to expect. And I was isolated in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't able to kind of like call on other friends or go to like mommy and me groups. I was like in the house for like two years with like my mom and my son. And like, if, if I didn't have her, I would have just like lost my mind. Like she Mm -hmm. really kind of helped me feel comfortable. And those lessons I learned from her in childhood about like really, um, how can I even explain it? Like, I, I I think about like showing up for yourself, but in essence, it's like being resourceful, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. my mom is very much like, you can figure this out. Like, mm-hmm. like, let's, let's try, let's like ask the questions. Let's look it up. And, you know, back in the day, it was like, look it up in an encyclopedia. Oh, yeah. Now it's more, more or less, you know, looking it up on Google or like just asking the questions or getting the people around you to help and support you. And I grew up in a really um, wonderful community. I have a small family per se. Like I, it's just uh, my brothers and I, a majority of my extended family lives overseas. I'm first mm-hmm. generation. So most of my family is in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So in, here in the United States, I have like a small blood family, but mm-hmm. uh, a small blood family. But in terms of kinship, in terms of people that like I call auntie and uncle and come all together, my mom made this beautiful, robust community. So like whether it was like my our neighbor next door or like our friends at church or like, you know, the, the women in my dance class or like the uncles that I met that like took us fishing, you know, they weren't necessarily like like my, my mom's, my mom does, she has one brother, but I, I have, I could say like maybe like 30 uncles, you know, yeah, I, mean, I have so yeah. many people that I call like auntie and uncle because they grew up with me. And my mom was very intentional about like making that community and finding people to like help support us. Although we had a lot of our family in another part of the world, you mm-hmm. know? And so that is like a, a main thing that I have taken away from her. Like, okay, like I can build my community. I can find ways to be the best parent possible. And I don't have to be intimidated by the unknown, you know? And that's probably why I gravitated to books so much. Cause it was like, all right, like my mom's like, look it up. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Let, let's like figure it out together because there were also aspects of her life that because she was new to American culture and she was like assimilating that she didn't know either. So we were both learning together. So that idea of like, we can figure this out together as a, as a parenting tool um, has been awesome to, to learn with her, but also to teach my son, like mm-hmm. he's only two right now, but it is so amazing to see like his little brain making connections and asking him why and him just like trying to figure right now he's very much into trains and trucks and wheels. And it's like, how many wheels are they? Like, how do they go? Like, how can we count? Like, that curiosity and, you know, that vigor is just so, I feel like was really ingrained into my childhood. And I can't wait to like do that 
with my son. Like, I can't wait to just like have him ask me. I asked so many questions as a child. Like, I was just like, <laughs> payback's coming. Oh, it's coming. It's ready yeah. yet. Like, he's yeah. already just on like the why, huh? How? Like, he wants to know. And I'm eager to be like, okay, like, we're going to do this together. The other day, I got him this book about, um, because we saw a rainbow for the first time mm. and we were trying to explain the like the rainbow. So I found this like awesome book that like explained clouds and explained confluences and rivers and like pers- it was like all these things that I'm just like, I haven't thought about any of these things. And like, I don't know, since I was, I don't know, like a small child, but I'm like, I'm ready to teach him and like exp- understand all those things. And I might've gone on a tangent with this, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think that like it answers your yeah, question. Yeah. Well, yeah. Your mom is a resourceful person who um, brought together your village because your blood relatives are all far, far away. Right. So exactly, exactly. You so, make a family and you, you bring in that kin and, um, and you learn, right. I also, yeah, I also together. read that, you know, your mom read a lot to you growing yes. up and at night and part of your bedtime ritual also seems that it had quite an impact on, you know, what you have become and what you're doing today. 100%. Like her reading poems and sometimes just reading the Washington Post. I grew up in the Washington DC area and just like her reading from the newspaper. Or I even remember going to the Smithsonian. We went to the Smithsonian all the time. In retrospect, I understand now it's because the museums here in DC are free and it's like (laughs) an amazing just like landscape for children to run around and like Mm -hmm. have so much fun. But we went to the museum all the time and even going on like the public transportation here like she would point to a map and she would say like pick a color like all the the colors here are like orange line blue line red line and we would pick a color and then we would go on that train and it would become an adventure you know so Mm. sometimes she didn't even have a destination for us it would just be like let's explore together but you get to have like an opportunity to choose it and like make this like part of your um part of your agency. Like she gave me choices as a young person and it made me feel like my opinion mattered and I could share things with my mom and she would value my opinion. So it, it was, it was a wonderful thing, you know, it was just a wonderful thing to get that kind of like validation as a young person. Yeah, definitely. And something that I'm already hearing you're doing with your, uh, with your little one as well. Yes. Yes. 100%. Work-life balance. You know, we hear that a lot. So here you are, like your, your, um, let's say your work, your career, but I also feel that that's limiting to even call it that. Like your mission, your, you know, your movement, it's, it continues to grow. And from, you know, not only just what you're putting out there on social media, but your blogging, we're going to talk about your new anthology soon, um, your podcast. Before we dive into all of those little areas, on the parenting realm, personal realm, how do you manage all that? Oh, it's, it's, again, I'm new. He's only two. So I'm still in the beginning stages. If you're, if you have any tips, please pass them (laughs) over. I, um, I would say that I have no longer, I don't even use the term work-life balance anymore. I just think of it as like, how I manage my time. Mm. And, you know, some days I have more time than others. And if I don't get to something or a task that needs to be completed or a deadline, I've stopped beating myself up and I've Mm -hmm. given myself a lot more grace. And that has like freed up my mind. And it's more liberating to say, okay, like I was able to get these five things done and the sixth one is going to happen tomorrow. So I kind of just like 
I'm okay with pushing things to the next day. I, I understand how to make things priority. I ask for help a lot more. I have a great assistant. And it's not all about like balance. Some days it's about I need to sleep for eight hours mm-hmm. or we're just going to go to the park and like run around and be free. Like I really just try to make the most of my days and um, not think and not beat myself up if I can't do something. And that's how I get the things done. It's just like they're really long list. And I try to just show up for myself every day and do the best that I can. And that's working for me so far. I mean, I would say before I had my son, I probably was a little bit more type A and a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. more rigid with my, my goals and tasks. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to open it up. There's more flexibility there. And it also gives me, um, more space for reflection. So when I give myself these buffer times of like, okay, like if I'm going to have maybe two or three hours where I'm really engaging in creative play, or I'm thinking about a beautiful song, or I'm like really reading a book with, and and thinking about the book as um, an act of pleasure and not for facilitation, because my work is so grounded in analyzing the book and being have being able to talk to a, like a large body of people about the book. Sometimes I just need to sit back and read something just for my own edification. And that's mm-hmm. really important to me. So I'm like, okay, I'm like really enjoying this poem or I'm really lost in this story. And I'm not thinking about how to regurgitate it or share it on social media. That That's, that's also part of me managing my time so I can yeah. understand different concepts and be creative. I like what you're saying. I like this idea of it's not about work-life balance because that, that actually that phrase annoys several people because right. It's (laughs) like, what is that? What do you mean? How do you even have balance? (laughs) So I like the idea of managing time and you're, you're, you're choosing your time, like being mindful about your time. It doesn't have to be balanced. You can actually one day work a lot, another day rest a lot. And, um, the other thing that you said, that's really important for everyone to hear is like being kind to yourself and showing up for yourself, right? Like if you can do those two things, people, you know, most days, I, I think that's a big win. Yeah, you're going to be in such a great place. And it it gives you, I, I also, now that I have a little person, mm-hmm. I try to talk to myself like how I, how I talk to him. I'm always, you know, we wake up the day and we say, I am smart. I am kind. I am strong. You know, like I'm constantly saying these affirmations to him because mm-hmm. I want him to feel that. Nice. I want him to start the day in a really wonderful way. And I'm like, I need to say these affirmations to myself. I'm smart and I'm kind and I'm brilliant and I'm beautiful. Like, and I'm, all, I'm able to do all these things. So I just think that giving yourself that love and that nourishment, just like you give to your children, makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. And I think sometimes we can un- actually underestimate that, like how how it is, like how you talk to yourself matters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to really just like be loving to myself and say, okay, you got this, you can do it. Let's, you know, let's try again. Let's like, let's read, let's like read more books. Let's like, or binge TV or binge Netflix. You know what I mean? Right, it's not always right. literary, but um, just like doing things that will make me feel good and like ready to tackle the, the next day. Nice. Nice.
Okay, let's talk. Let's let's talk a little bit about your projects here. So I want to oh, yeah. go back to a quote from you um, okay. about when you were curating your first anthology, Well Read Black Girl. And you said, I was very clear about that I wanted to hear both sides of the story. I want to know the things that are troubling and have shaped an identity, but also how you're able to overcome that. Because when you go through something, it's not only the thing that defines you. It helps to uplift you out of that. It's the experience and the challenge that pulls you into another space that allows you to be brighter and bolder for sharing your story without reservation. Oh, wow. I said that. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, that was inspiring to me. That was powerful. That's amazing. I mean, but it's so true. I I have had an experience, I tell you, the same year that I got my book deal mm-hmm. and I was just like, I felt like I was on the, like, it was the biggest professional accomplishment that I had made to date, you know, that year was also the same year I lost my father, right? Mm. So you can have these incredible moments of joy and just like complete wonder. And then also in the same moment, be dealing with loss and grief mm-hmm. and, and, and great pain, you know? And I, I feel like that's a that's a real thing that people encounter all the time. Like, both things can be true. Like I can be so happy that I have this book and I'm having this experience and I could be mourning my father at the same time. So I also, like I understand that that's people's dualities and mm-hmm. that's their life. Like we're not only one thing. And the earlier I was able to accept that and embrace that, it just made like, it made every decision or every life moment seem like, okay, like there's more that it's the, you know, the, and, mm-hmm. you know, like right. it's right. like, it's just like more that's always happening. You can't assume that one person has like the perfect life or the best experience because you just never know. And I tried to really have that perspective with everything that I encounter. Like there's mm-hmm. multiple things happening at once. There's just so much emotion. There's just like so much always happening. And I try to just be mindful mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're, you credit your father to giving you your beautiful name of glory. Yes. And to um, the other thing I was, when I was reading about you, he had a beautiful name. Tell everyone his beautiful name. Yes. Yes. So my dad came here. He migrated from Nigeria in uh, the eighties. He went to Howard university, which I also which you attended did. Howard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I followed in my father's footsteps. I was very close with my father and my dad's name is elegance. And mm. so that was when he came to the States and most people, you know, he wanted to change his name. He wanted to have something that felt more American, which I'm like, dad, you could have named yourself John or like Chris <laughs> or anything. And you decided to on elegance like how does that even happen but he was just he had his strong community of friends and he was very just dapper he had always had his suits on and had his you know his hair in a certain way and his glasses and he just had such a rich style that it was like a name that stuck with yeah. him when he came to the state so yeah that's that's my dad's elegance. name elegance Yes, yeah. he, he he was very elegant. So just mm. just had such a beautiful energy about him, and he was also just an avid reader, more so um, 
with historical Mm -hmm. um, books and politics. He loved politics. He was very much into um, just like knowing about world events. So everything that I read and understood about like the civil rights movement or even the Biafra War, um, both my parents are, again, in Nigeria. They grew up during the Biafra War in the Mm -hmm. uh, 70s. And so like it just to be like politically aware and understand my um my place as a citizen and, and as a global citizen and understanding like the Africa diaspora. So just this, you know, I am first generation, but I was very much, I grew up here in the United States. Like what that means for me, again, more duality. Like mm-hmm. I am of two places mm-hmm. and how I reconcile that, how I express myself, how I show up when it comes to being an activist. Um, so important. Like my, my dad was the first person who told me about Marcus Garvey and, you know, Malcolm X and mm-hmm. all, you know, Martin Luther King, all these incredible people, but he was looking at it from a perspective as a Nigerian in the United States and what that meant and how his kids are go- going to be United, like they're going to be citizens. It just, it's just is so amazing when I think back at all the experiences my parents went through and how, they were just like so, so yearning and like going after the American dream. And mm-hmm. I just feel that is actually the one thing I will say about being first generation or coming from a working class background. There is like this motivation and at least for me, a, I have a great motivation, but I'm also not a fail to afraid. Like I'm not afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really not afraid to fail. Like mm-hmm. saying no to me does not deter me. Like, like I'm just like, maybe someone else would say yes. Like it's like, I, I'm not afraid because I, I really witnessed all the things my parents went through and like, by comparison, I have it easy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and so I just have so much gratitude and I see all the sacrifices they made for me. And I see just, I just understand the, like the choices they made to like, just ensure that I had a better life, me and all my siblings. And it's also really amazing to see, despite different circumstances, wherever you are in the world, parents want the best for their kids. Absolutely. Like point blank. Right. You know, like wherever you are, like it just is like they want you to do a little bit better than they did. Mm-hmm. And I and I feel that for my son. I'm just like, we are in a great position. I feel I feel like I've I'm doing my best to really make sure he has access to all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I want him to do even better, you know? So it's it's such it's a good feeling and i have so much more now that i'm a parent i have so much more compassion and understanding for my parents and the decisions they made the good ones and the bad ones like right, i just have right. like, so much more understanding and i don't know if that it's just like an automatic thing that clicks once like you have a child you're like oh i get it yeah. <laughs> you know but um I am very, just very grateful for both my parents. They're just, they're wonderful people and they made me who I am. Yeah, well, what a wonderful legacy that they have left you, let you yeah. know, for you, left you by who yeah. they are and what 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 they did in their lives. Um, I think you're right. It's like, I, I, I always just think back of how else, how I think about being like so clueless or naive about all of this parenting stuff and all of this adulthood stuff that you just don't seem to have a window in until you get there in many ways. Um, Or even if, you know, even if people do have those windows through some hardships and through different traumas that they experience, 
but you still don't experience it being on the other side, in my experience, until you are on the other side. And then you see all that stuff so differently. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, oh, that's another reason where, um, I would like my son to have as much lived experience as possible. Like I don't want to dictate things to him or try to be like, do it this way. Like I want him to figure it out on mm-hmm. his own, but mm-hmm. I also want to like protect him. I, I remember growing up too, like my mom put me in all these different programs. Like I was in Girl Scouts and I did um I, I did so many different things. Like I did dance class. I did like ballet. I did all these things. And there was this one time I went to summer camp and like I came back from camp and I was so excited. My mom would like sometimes chaperone some of these things. And um, we she chaperoned this one time. We went on this like hike right? But in my mind, the hike was like a mountain. Like you would have thought I was like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Like I was just so (laughs) adamant. And I was telling the story, like much later, I was like older telling the story. And my mom kind of chimed in and she was like, honey, like you really went up a hill. Like it wasn't that, (laughs) it wasn't. And she was like, and we were behind you. Like I thought like I went up this hill by myself with my friends. And my mom was like, we were like two feet behind you the whole time. And like something about her telling that story, it's like, oh, like if, even if you give like a little bit of fake independence, like make your kids like yeah. feel like they're doing it on yeah. their own, that actually is like really nourishing too. Because I told this story like years later, like, do you remember that time like we climbed this like huge mountain? And my mom's like, no, was that actually wasn't <laughs> it? But it made me feel you that felt way. It. And it, yeah, yeah, you felt it, and like even that feeling, that confidence, yeah, like it it does something for you. So I want to give. My son, all the little mountains he can climb, but I want to be like, you know, just sitting in a bush making sure he's okay. Yeah. I want him to climb. I want him to find his own way and climb up, you know, and he's going to fall, but I'll just, I'll be there. I love like, that image. Okay? I love that image for everyone to think about. Like your child thinks they're climbing a mountain on their own and it might just be a little hill with you behind the bushes, <laughs> but you yes. think about the amount of self-confidence that one it's gets true. with that experience. It's yeah. so true. You yeah. know, like I'm yeah. definitely not going to be like a helicopter parent. I'm just like, no, go fly on your own. I'll be over <laughs> here. <laughs> so your latest, your latest anthology, um, you know, so you talk about being raised in addition for your by your parents and your extended kin by Alice Walker, you know, Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou. And your latest anthology, of course, on girlhood, you say, I'm seeking to illuminate the narrow space between black girlhood and black womanhood. That seems like a dance. Tell us, tell us about you know, what is that? I like sliver? that. I like that image because it's like you're on a tightrope, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just like I felt like a lot of times when I was a young person developing, you know, trying to figure out my agency in the world, I was sometimes, I was perceived as being older or more adult, you know, having more responsibilities. I can't name the number of times I have two younger brothers. I am the oldest and I would be taking them to school. And the assumption would be, I was like their mom and Mm -hmm. I'd be like, what in the world? (laughs) Like, how, you know, like I am their older sister dropping them off at daycare, you know what I mean? But, um, so when I wrote this anthology on girlhood, I really wanted to look at the perspective and the nuance of young black girls through the, through the narrative of short story. I really love short stories because it's, you know, often short stories aren't heavy 
on plot. You know, it's really about the voice of the character and understanding their inner dialogue. So I wanted folks to get the perspective of who Black girls are, you know, how complicated they can be and funny and carefree and also just trying to determine like determine who they are in the world and how they can like show up for themselves. And so we have stories about not only do we have like young girls, but we also have sisters and we have best friends and we have like young romance. Like one of my Mm -hmm. favorite stories is uh, Melvin in the sixth grade who talks about this like young girl who has this crush on a boy and how she's like figuring it out, but she's also like trying to be cool and impress her friends. And, and then we have this beautiful story about a young girl um, that is um, trying to figure out religion. It's, it's, it's actually a story written by Rita Dove, who's one of my favorite poets. But Rita Dove, if you don't know, has done a little bit of everything. Like, of course, amazing poet laureate, but she writes short stories and operas and like she just so phenomenal. So I found a, she, a, a story that she wrote. I was like, I know we have to include this. Like how many people know that like Rita Dove writes short stories? So um, and then, of course, there's Alice Walker and the one and only story written by Toni Morrison is written, included in the collection. So I just had all these like beautiful stories that I was falling in love with. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, when I was doing the research for it, like I wanted this book to be like a hundred stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, had, yeah. I had so I had the longest list. I had the longest list of stories like from C.C. Packer and, and Petrie. I just had all these stories that I. I was gathering together because I was trying to write this like love letter to my, like my younger self, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, this, but then I had to narrow it down and I got down to 15 and I think I did a good job of trying to like find voices from across regions and, you know, writers from the Caribbean and um, writers from the South and just like finding the nuance of who, of just young black girls trying to become like become mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. and with well-read black girls sometimes the focus is so much on our racial identity that i wanted it to include both like just like the the youthfulness and the lightness and how tender and vulnerable you are when you're a young person and yeah. you want to find places that validate you and make you feel like whole you know? And so each story I read did that for me. And, um, yeah, I just, it it became like this, like really love project as I was putting that together. And I was just like, Oh, I hope this introduces readers to, you know, all the literary foremothers that have Mm -hmm. inspired me, but Mm -hmm. also these new beautiful contemporary voices that are coming up. So one of my favorite authors is Camille Acker and she, she's part of like the well-read black girl family. She was part of the book club. Um, I actually, before she was published, I was one of the reviewers that um, read her story for the Louis. uh, It's um. It's a prize, it's a literary prize through Feminist Press. Like her first book mm-hmm. is published through Feminist Press. And I was like one of the readers for that. So I saw her work like really early on. And I like, that is like such my sweet spot. I, I live for debut writers, people that are just like coming out and I want to like support their first book. And then I want to support their 20th book, like whatever their career looks like. So I, I made sure to have her short story in here. And she, um, she writes about DC, which I'm I'm a native of DC, so it's a mm-hmm. lot of her stories about the East Coast that made me remind reminded me of childhood. There's so her story was really sassy because it talks about 
these like young um, rambunctious girls on the train and they're kind of being like a little rude, a little, you know, unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember being that like sassy girl on the train, you know, like trying to like maybe talking a little bit louder than I should have, or, um, you know, calling attention to myself and the, the, her story kind of sits in that space. And I always tell people, if you see some like loud kids, like, quote unquote, misbehaving on the train. Like they're just, you know, getting into it, especially in the city. You have to remember most city kids don't ride a school bus. So it's like, it's like their school bus. Yeah. And quite honestly, when I see that, I'm like, all these kids should be in theater because they're, they're just like acting, acting you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're acting. They're just like, they're, they're like unchaperoned. They're free. They're like, they're testing the waters. They're seeing what words they, and I used to push buttons and say all kinds of things like, you know, like spew political blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just say, just say things just to say it, to see if I could get a reaction. I'm just like, this is what like being a young person is really about, like to push boundaries, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't like tisk tisk when I see kids acting out. I'm like, yeah, like, go ahead. That's like, that's what you're supposed to do when you're 13, 14. Like, why not? You know? Absolutely. And how so, do we forget? Like the older we get, everyone this is a good message for all of us. The older we get, you know, we're like, oh my God, why would anyone do that? And we're just like, yeah. we, we, we used to do that, right? Like let's yeah, have a little patience. To. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just like a different environment for city kids. It might be like a public subway for other folks. It might be, you know, like, like on their bikes somewhere, like in, in, in like the woods, you know, like, or just like hanging out, you know, or it's like on a farm. Like it just, it's just a different environment, yeah. but it's like kids are all doing the same things. They're just like pushing back boundaries. So, uh, so that story, the, the story that she wrote in this collection kind of sits in that space. So I, um, but that's what I was looking for, just like all different types of perspectives. And well, and you say your goal is your goal is to shine, shine a light on all of yes. this abundance of talent, right? And that's, yes. that's what you're doing. That's yes. what you're doing. Thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate that. It's such a labor of love. And, um, you know, unlike, uh, a novel, you know, anthologies kind of sit in, in a different space and they require you to, my hope is like, you'll read one author in this anthology and you'll want to read more of their work. Mm-hmm. So I always include reading lists and include questions and find spaces for the conversation to go beyond the book. So we'll yeah. continue talking and having moments of connection. Awesome. So, okay. Before we get to that final question, which is, which is lurking, um, we just have to we have to give some uh, shine some light on your podcast. So here you are, and now you're on um, a platform, Pushkin. Um, yes. Malcolm Gladwell, one of my like all time favorite writers and thinkers, and oh, he's amazing. You're he's spreading so amazing. the word. So tell us about tell us about the podcast and what you're what you're trying. What do you want to do with it? The podcast for me is like the best of all the world. It's the book club. It's the books. It's the festival where we're sitting, talking to the author, having a one-on-one conversation and really talking to them about their creative journey and how they became writers and how they really became the people they are. You know, Mm -hmm. like I am very curious about people's just full backgrounds. You know, for some people, you write a book in a month or two and then you talk to the other authors and they're like, it took me 10 years to write this masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And I want to dispel just like the, 
the energy or like what it means to be a writer. You know, I just think we have so many different paths to becoming the people that we are. And, and I want to just like show that journey. I want people to understand just like the patience that you have to have with yourself and also the level of self-discipline that is required for artistry. Like it takes time to kind of like create Mm-hmm. Any piece of work, I understand that wholeheartedly as a writer myself, as an editor, as someone who just like enjoys like the beauty of like art around me. Um, it takes time. So yeah. things can feel really quick on social media and feel like overnight. And I'm like, you know, on this podcast, we're going to get to the time it takes to make the work, to mm-hmm. write the books. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really wonderful to talk to all of my heroes, you know, I had the opportunity to interview Anita Hill and mm-hmm. Tarana Burke, Jacqueline Woodson, these powerhouse writers that just do so much for our culture and for mm-hmm. the literary canon. They are like single-handedly changing how we experience words and literature. So it's been just a, I can't even express how wonderful it is to be in the space and talk to them. And a lot yeah. of times, you know, the interview comes down to like 30, 40 minutes, but I could talk to them all day. We totally. could talk like hours at the time, you know? I'm having the same challenge right now talking to you, Glory. I'm like, oh, looking, at, so I'm like looking at it. I'm like, oh my God, I have all these questions. <laughs> and um, so first, congratulations. I mean, what a, what a platform and what an honor and a privilege to have those conversations. So it's just wonderful. Like things just Thank you. One thing just keeps happening from the other. So yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Like, isn't yeah. that life though? It's yeah. just like you never know. It's so amazing. All right. I, I did say I had like the next, the last question coming, but I have one more before that. Because I, I, okay. <laughs> I have to ask this because this is so critical to um, what we're about on this show. What So you're about... I mean, you're just about uplifting voices, uplifting lives, um, again, shining a light on the talent and that abundance that exists mm-hmm. out there. And, um, you know, that's what we want to do on this show in, in terms of doing that for creating more compassion, more love, one individual at a time. Um, so knowing we share that, please tell us, how do you feel that we can take action like one person at a time to help uplift black voices. I think the best thing you can do is listen. Mm. So when someone is telling you a story, sharing their lived experience, really actively listen and invest in them and make sure you're making eye contact and you're being present with the person. I can't tell you how many times in the past where I'm feeling like, you're not connecting with me. You're instead you're trying to like regurgitate or tell me your side. And it's like, no, like let's fully listen to my experience and really mm-hmm. understand it. And not to problem solve, not to like, you know, offer your own opinion, but just like sit there and listen and understand. And I think if we took more time to listen to each other, listen to each other's stories, obviously buy each other's books. Like I have read, I read widely. Of course, Mm -hmm. my platform is centered on the works of black women, but I have read all the things, you Mm -hmm. know, I, from Shakespeare to Walt Whitman, like I've read all the things and 
I have a wonderful understanding of how we are connected universally. And I think that we need that perspective for BIPOC voices as well. You can enjoy the work of all these incredible writers who serve your attention and your love and listening to their voices Mm -hmm. and reading their stories widely. And when you do read a beautiful story that you're taken by, share it. Share yeah. those, like spread the wealth, share it with other people, talk about it, give it good reviews, you know, all those things matter in our ecosystem mm-hmm. and they make a difference. So mm-hmm. I think that's like the the primary thing that will make a society and like one yeah. person at a time. So a little bit better if we just paid a little bit more attention and listened to each other like deeply with, with respect. Nice. Yes. Listen with respect and uh, support and promote everyone that you like hearing about and reading about and sharing, spreading the message. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how many, I mean, we yeah. have all these wonderful outlets now. We have yeah. social media and podcasts and all these, like, all these incredible things. But I am not kidding you. I still, like, when a friend tells me something, that's, like, the best, you know, best right. stamp of it's, approval. Yeah, I, exactly. I will go out and buy the thing, download it, listen. If I have someone that I trust, the trusted voice, yep. I'm like, all right, this, you know, this is a friend. This is someone in my community that I want to uplift. Let's do it. Let's you do it. do the same thing. Okay, here we go. Parent footprint moment question. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, maybe as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your child's life, and or those you love. I think that, you know, I mentioned it earlier when my father passed away, that was Mm -hmm. such a life-changing moment and it brought my mother and I together in this whole other way. And I also started to recognize how fragile she was Mm -hmm. and how just like how human she was, you know, like I think before my dad passed away, I just saw my mom and my dad as my parents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were certain expectations I had of them as parents. And I didn't really take into consideration their past and who they were before they had me as their child. And at my dad's funeral, there were so many stories about who he was as a young person and how even how my parents met. Like they had told me the story kind of, you know, over the years, but hearing it just like shared by so many people that we loved, Mm. um, it just gave me like a new appreciation about just like honoring their past and the people that we are before we have children and how that all of that influences your, your life and how you, um, how you take care of yourself, how you like take care of your kids, you know, just like I had a new level of compassion and love for my mom and my parents after, Mm. um, after losing my dad, because, and then even going through, there was this beautiful moment where my mother and I were just like going through these old photographs of them as young people, like in college. And, you know, at that time, like my dad used to smoke Barbaros, you know, yep. no, no, we're not encouraging yep. smoking, but like yep. my, there were like all these pictures of my parents and my mom was smoking. And I was just like, what? You smoked with dad? <laughs> like I knew my dad smoked, but I was just like, oh my God, like really? Like, you know, my mom is so pristine and just like not, like yeah. not a smoker, like ne- never. But and I saw this picture of her and just like, I just had this, it was almost, it was so eye-opening and just like, I just saw them in this new light. Um, And I think maybe I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's like 
as an as adults, like you yeah. suddenly there's this a this turning moment when you see your your parents as just people. Oh, for you know? sure. And like you really embrace their flaws and their imperfections mm-hmm. and the beauty of who they've become. Yeah. Um, but it just was so beautiful to kind of like reminisce and think about um them as young people. And it just made and now that I have my own child, like I don't, I still feel like really young and energetic. Right. And, yeah. and I'm sure there'll be a time where my son looks at me and he's like, mom, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, come yeah. on. Not you know, for a you while, elder... enjoy it. Not for a while, but yeah, it, 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 it'll come. Yeah. <laughs> it'll come, exactly. Yeah. He's going to have this moment where he's like my, yeah. my older, unexperienced, yeah. unknowing mother, you know, yeah. and he'll just like roll his eyes at me. Cause I did that for years at both yeah. my parents. Like, what do you know? Like what? Like come on, you know. Um, but in truth, they know a lot. They, they do know so much, um, and just having a better appreciation yeah. and uh, and that grace thing. That grace thing always comes up, like showing them mm-hmm. grace and gratitude yeah. for who they are and uh, all the decisions they made for for yeah. our family. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's I mean, it's a beautiful transition it's a story of transition because as you this that is generally what happens is first of all we think our parents are amazing superhuman people and then at some point usually around pre-adolescence adolescence we can go the other way and be like oh my god what's wrong with them they don't do anything <laughs> right and then right. i think as we get older and maybe cross over it's seeing them as human beings with their strengths with their challenges with with like all of the humanness, right? And yeah. and appreciating them for all of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And just being yeah. a little bit more gentle, you know? Yeah. I think that like that's so important, that gentleness of just like, wow, like you have lived like life is long. Like you've yeah. done so much and yeah. you did so much before me. Yeah. Um and recognizing that. Well, Glory, congratulations on everything that is going on it's so exciting i'm excited to continue now that we're connected to follow you and watch you just continue to um gosh just do your thing which seems so naturally so tell everyone tell everyone you know all those where to find you Oh my goodness. So I am on all of the social media. It's uh, on Instagram. It's at wellreadblackgirl. And I have my website, wellreadblackgirl.com. Um, all the things are there. If you're interested in joining the book club, please sign up for our newsletter. Of course, we want you to download the podcast. Please download the podcast and subscribe and listen. Um, yeah, that's it. Like we're, we're all over the internet and we always take book recommendations. So let us know what you're reading. Pleasure to be talking with you today. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with us. Oh, thank you. This was absolutely wonderful. And however I can support you in the future, please let me know. This was like a wonderful, wonderful interview. All right, everyone. Just as Glory says, we all love your reviews. We love your subscribing. We love you bringing amazing people like yourselves to our communities. So please continue to do that. We are grateful. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. 
Transparent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.